Amen. Well, I had such a nice weekend last weekend. It was a great week, all of last week, really, as we remembered the events in the life of Jesus the week leading up to his death, starting with Palm Sunday, then an emotional service with Good Friday, the day of celebration as we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And so already last weekend, I was running on a spiritual high. I, I, I was feeling very, very close to God. And to top that, we had, uh, not to top that, but on top of that, uh, we had such nice weather this week, and I took advantage of the nice weather that we had, and I went to the reservoir twice. This is my favorite time with God, where I uh, get out in nature and pray, read my Bible, and just meditate on God's presence. I, I didn't really have a very regular uh, practice uh, of getting out in nature and separating myself uh, from everyone else until uh, a few years ago. It's kind of when, when this first started. But I'm so grateful every time that I have to go out by myself, free myself from all the distractions, uh, leave, leave my phone behind, leave, leave the world behind and just me and my heavenly father, one-on-one, -on -one, uh, I, I wouldn't replace that for anything, spending that quality alone time with God. And I strongly, I strongly encourage you guys to take advantage of that as well, the, the beautiful creation and getting away from the world, getting away from your family, your spouses, your jobs, your, your phone, you name it, and have that one-on-one -on -one connection with God reading his word, praying to him, listening to him, and just meditating on his presence. It just feels so fulfilling. And, and so it's been such a nice two weeks for me, having the, those great services last weekend, uh, finally being able to, to go out in the nice weather as well, enjoying one-on-one -on -one time with God out in nature. And so when I'm on a spiritual high like right now, it feels like nothing can stop me. I, I have uh, feelings of invincibility, like, like, like nothing can get in my way. Now, with all uh, heroes uh, of our faith in God's scripture, my journey ebbs and flows. The highs come with the lows. And when I'm going through a spiritual low or a spiritual drought, as they do come, it's easy for negative thoughts to creep into my mind. And these thoughts can harm my spiritual walk with God it can harm my life at home. It can harm my role as a pastor. You name it. The, the, these negative thoughts, the, these destructive thoughts destroy every element of our lives. And when we surround ourselves with these negative thoughts, it will wreak havoc in our lives. And this is uh, the concept of the book that we talked about a bit before earlier this morning, Winning the War in Your Mind by Pastor Craig Rochelle. This is a book that we'll be covering in our at-home Bible study series. And I so hope that you guys are able to join us on a weekly basis as we dissect the words of Pastor Craig Groeschel as he uses both scripture and science to help us win this war in our mind. And I just want to take this opportunity uh, just today to kind of give a preview of this idea, winning the war in your mind. And maybe this will inspire you to join in on our weekly discussions. As today, we are just barely going to scratch the surface of winning this constant war, this constant battle that is taking place within our minds. 
And the theme passage for this concept comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Right after, you guessed it, 1 Corinthians. Thank you for whoever laughed out there. I heard two of you. Thank you. You build my self-esteem. I need that. Thank you. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And so the Apostle Paul says that there is a war going on. There is a war going on right now as we speak. But this war that we are fighting is not of the flesh. We are not necessarily fighting a war with our fists, with our swords, or, or, or with guns. You name it. There have been countless of wars throughout history fought with flesh. But that is not the war that, that we are talking about this morning. That, that is not the war that we are fighting as we speak right now. Now, with that being said, the weapons that we use in our war are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. So we, we have a godlike power readily available. And we use this godlike power to destroy strongholds, or some of your translations may read fortresses. You know, cities uh, in ancient times, they, they had these very, very thick walls ma made of stone, and they served as a huge tactical advantage for the defenders. It was extremely difficult for an attacking force to take over a stronghold or to take over a fortress. And apparently, we are fighting a war, not a war of flesh, where we use weapons, not ordinary weapons, but we use divine weapons and we are fighting against strongholds, these heavily fortified positions. And now what war is Paul talking about? And in verse five, he, he answers that question. In verse five, Paul writes, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so this war that we are fighting today is about arguments or, or, or debates or, or logical points. It's about opinions, it's about knowledge, and it's about thoughts. We are fighting a war in our minds. Most battles that we face are won or lost in the mind. Our battle against laziness is won or lost in the mind. Our battle against pornography is won or lost in the mind. Our battle against anxiety is won or lost in the mind. Our battles uh, against feelings of unworthiness, our battle against the temptations we face on a daily basis are won or lost in the mind. And we have to get in this mindset that we are at war. We are at war. And that's hard to do here in America, getting in that mindset that, that we are at war and we need to be ready to defend ourselves. Because for a lot of us who, who have the privilege of living in the United States of America, life is easy for us. Life is easy for us for the most part. Most people in our nation have a place to lay their head. 
They know where their next meal is coming from, and they have a steady source of water. And to my knowledge, that, that, that fits everybody here. And life, really, when we compare ourselves to, to some of what other people are going around in the world, life is easy for us. We, we, we don't go through some of these same struggles that many, many people in this world go through. And many people in our nation go past the most basic needs that we have, and, and we start to delve into the luxuries of our society. And so it's so easy to get into the hang of things and think, oh, yeah, we we got this. We are taken care of. As a lot of times, life can be easy for us. But this war that we are fighting is not a war of material. It's not a war of food, of water, of shelter, of money. This war that we are entrenched in is a war of our thoughts. And our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. This truth is expressed in Proverbs 23.7. I'm a big fan of the ESV translation. I think they missed the mark uh, here just a bit in this verse. I like some other translations of this verse. The ESV reads, For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. The NASB reads, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. The REV, the Revised English Version, reads, For as he calculates in his soul, so he is. The New King James Version, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The American Standard Version, For as he thinketh within himself, so is he. The point being is that you become what you think. And this is why uh, frequently I stress the importance of our identity as Christians. Because if you think that you are a poor little sinner, then guess what? You're going to act like a poor little sinner, and you're going to sin, 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 and sin. But if you think of yourself, if you identify yourself as a righteous child of God, then you are well on your way to living like a righteous child of God. And I firmly believe if we put our faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, that is who you are. You are righteous children of God. You are saints. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart from the world. And if we identify this, if we think of ourselves as righteous children of God, then guess what? I think your life is going to start to line up to look like that. I think you're going to look like a righteous child of God. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts have so, so much power in your life. We cannot overemphasize the amount of power that your thoughts have in your life. Craig Rochelle writes in his book, both the Bible and science teach us that our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Then we need to ask ourselves, Do I like the direction my thoughts are taking me? Your thoughts will control you. Your thoughts will control you. And so we as Christians, as children of God, we must learn how to control our thoughts. Because they have an immense amount of power in our lives. You know, once you create a thought, you create a a neural pathway. Once you think a thought, it becomes much, much easier to think that same thought. 
And before we know it, a thought that we have becomes our default. And I think these are our strongholds where you may fail a test in school and you get your test back from your teacher and you get a big F on there and you're thinking, oh man, I am so dumb. You think that you're so dumb for failing this test. And then your brain creates a pathway to that thought that you uh, are dumb because you, you failed this test. The next day, you forget a pencil. Your brain has already created a neural pathway to that thought. And so that thought becomes all the more easier to think that. And it wreaks havoc on people, thinking that they are unworthy, thinking that they are just a poor little sinners. And this thought each time becomes more and more natural. It starts with just that once, and we're creating a pathway. You can uh, uh, think of it uh, like uh, someone walking a path in, in a, a chunk of grass, and before long, there will be a visible path that you can see, and that's what's taking place in our minds. You think one thought, and you're creating a pathway to create that thought, and that thought just becomes more and more natural, and before you know it, that thought becomes your default. And it becomes a stronghold that you must overcome. And so my question for you all today is what is your stronghold that you have to overcome? What is your default thought that is holding you back from the life that God wants you to live? Do you think that you are not enough, that you're unworthy? Do you think that you're a poor little sinner? Do you struggle with anxiety? Do you think you cannot overcome the temptation of pornography? What is the thought that you have to take captive? I love this. And in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought, not some, not a few, not most, but every thought captive to obey Christ. And so what's that, what's that mental stronghold in your life, that thought that you need to forcibly take captive to obey Christ? So I'm guessing if you're going to be honest with yourself, you have a stronghold in your life. I think we all have strongholds in our life. This default thought about ourself that we need to take captive captive with force, and we need to make it obey Christ. There are so many influences out there that try to control our thoughts. They, they are trying to, to create strongholds in our minds. Our society, uh, social media is, is trying to tell us how to think. They, they are trying to form strongholds in our mind. Our politicians try to tell us how to think. Our bosses may, may try to tell us how to think. Our school systems try to tell us how to think. As a parents of young children, I think you need to be especially aware of how susceptible our little ones are. We must do everything in our power to help create strongholds that support a life of faith to God. Because we are forming thoughts all of the time. 
And the more and more we, we, we form a particular thought, the more and more that thought comes natural. And whatever you think about yourself, so are you. Wise, wise words from the book of Proverbs. And so not only in this war that we are fighting, are we fighting against the natural patterns of this world, society, uh, social media, politicians, our, our job, uh, environment, school. Not only are, are we working against many, many of these patterns of this world, I think there is a supernatural element as well. I think we personally are enticed by our own desires I think the devil takes advantage of that. Uh, I'm reading uh, through a book right now called Firestorm, uh, talking about uh, conflicts within church. And, and he uses the illustrations that, that our personal sinful desires are like candles on our body that, that, the, that Satan takes a hold of. They're, they're easy grips for him to get a hold of our life. And I think when we are enticed by our own desires, the devil then, he takes advantage of that. And the greatest weapon, that the devil has, the supreme agent of sin, is controlling our thoughts through lies. We see this play out with the very first interaction between the devil and humanity. If you go back with me for a minute here, in Genesis chapter 2, this is just after God created the heavens and the earth. He looked at all that he made and he said it was very good. It's very good. And if God says something is good, you better believe that it was good. And so in the midst of this very good creation, in verse 15 of chapter 2, it reads, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. If we fast forward to, to chapter 3, verse 1, it reads, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, serpent, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, garden neither shall you touch it lest you die. And so here we see uh, in chapter two, God instructs Adam and Adam then uh, shares this information with Eve as well, that you may eat of any tree of the garden, but you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you do, you will die. You will die if you partake of the fruit of the, of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before that, they weren't exposed to death. And then all of a sudden, here comes, it's described in verse 1 of chapter 3, now the serpent more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And so this crafty, cunning serpent approaches Eve and he says, did God really tell you that you can't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of, uh, of good and evil? And Eve responds appropriately. 
She, she, she basically uh, verbatim uh, says what God instructed them, that you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And so she, she understands very clearly the instructions of the Lord to not eat of this tree. If I do eat of this tree, then one day I will die. She, she understands that. But we read in verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be the desire to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate." So God instructed Adam and Eve, can't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they do, they would die. Eve understands that. We see she understands that in her initial response to the serpent. But the serpent says, ah, no, no, you won't surely die. You're going to be made like God. You're going to know good and evil. And so the serpent who comes into play, who is later confirmed as the devil, the, the serpent uses a bit of truth that their eyes would be opened knowing good and evil. That was very much true. But he takes that bit of truth and intertwines a lie in there as well. And the lie, obvious to all, to us all, is that you will not surely die. Well, lo and behold, Adam and Eve, they partook uh, of this tree and they die. And they knew that. They knew that initially. But they were swayed by this lie that Satan told them. They were swayed by this thought that, hey, it will be all right. This tree looks good for food. Now, maybe we won't surely die. Eve changed her thoughts due to the deception of the serpent. She changed her thoughts due to a lie. And she lost that war in her mind and that loss led to the fall of mankind. And the same can be said of Adam as well, as he partook of the same tree as well. He lost the war in his mind as he was swayed by this thought and planted in their mind by the serpent. And you see, this took place thousands of years ago. Many people have varying ideas of how long ago this took. But this took place a long, 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 long time ago. Well, the Apostle Paul thinks that we are in danger of the same exact thing. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul states, But I am afraid. We don't see Paul really, really get afraid much in his ministry, in his life. But he says, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul is scared. Paul is worried. That just as Eve lost this war in her mind, just as Adam lost this war in his mind, Paul is scared that you are going to do the same exact thing. That you are going to be swayed by this cunning serpent and you're going to be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
He's worried about our thoughts. And that's important because for as he thinks within himself, so is he. The thoughts that go through our mind will either lead us toward or away from a faith in God. And we have to create strongholds in our mind that obey Christ. Create and nurture default thoughts that lead us towards Christ. And for those strongholds that lead us away from God and Christ, and I'm convinced we all have those strongholds, we have to forcibly take them captive and make them obey Christ. The cunning serpent tries to feed us lies, and these lies become strongholds in our mind. This is the war that we are fighting. We talk about this all while there is a massive material, physical world being fought in Ukraine, people's lives. Uh, we, we talked about being severely altered by the war. Those, those in Malawi and Mozambique who are devastated by this clone. Many people in this world are physically suffering. And for a lot of us here, we may not be going through much physical suffering and we can get comfortable. And that's a dangerous thing to do. Because we are in a war as well, a very, very dangerous war, a war that has the very bold and courageous Paul scared. He is scared for you and I. He is afraid that we are going to be swayed by the cunning serpent led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so don't get comfortable don't get comfortable. You're going to have your high, your spiritual highs and your spiritual lows. No matter where you are, don't get comfortable though, because we are fighting a war, a war that cannot be seen with eyes. It's not a material war. We're fighting a war in our mind. And there are countless outside influences that can shape the war in our mind. I believe that there's an active enemy trying to steer our mind away from faith in God. And so we need to learn how to control our thoughts, how to win this war. For as he thinks of himself, so is he. Your thoughts will guide you where you go in this life. Your thoughts will guide you whether or not you have an active faith in God or you fall away from an active faith in God. And we need to take the, the, those destructive strongholds in our life, and we need to make them. We need to take them captive and make them obey Christ. And if we do, I believe we will win the war in our mind. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for This day, I thank you for the weapons that you have given us to come out victorious in this war. Father, I just pray that we don't get comfortable in our current state, but that we are ready to defend ourselves, to defend our faith, to defend our mind at all times. 
Father, I just pray that, that we as a church serve as living examples of what it looks like to win the war in our mind, of what it looks like to identify as a righteous child of yours and to live like it. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. And I just pray a special prayer of blessing for everyone here in the current war they are going through in their mind. And I just pray for victory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.